our systems that we've developed over the last hundred and so some odd years are portable benefits, where the, whether it's healthcare, retirement, and uh, portable training, which allows you to have a real career and not just a job. Not from Ray and Associates Studio, this is Unsuitable on Tour in Cleveland a management and financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, tenured business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit and tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. On this weekly podcast, thought leaders and business professionals break down complicated and mundane topics and give you the tips and insight you actually need to grow as a leader and help your organization thrive. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes. And if you want access to even more information, show notes, and exclusive content, please visit our website at www.raycpa.com slash podcast and sign up for our weekly podcast newsletter. For those of you that don't know, we usually record this podcast in our Ray & Associates studio in Dublin, Ohio, but not today. We've taken the show on the road to beautiful Cleveland, where we are here with Tim Linville, Chief Executive Officer of the Construction Employers Association. Not only has Tim let us set up shop in their facility, which is a real treat, he is also going to share some insight into what's happening from a construction and economic standpoint here in Northeast Ohio. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. Welcome to the great state of Cleveland, Doug. Yes, thank you. I thank you. I grew up in in this area, but don't get back uh, as often as I should, unfortunately. But uh, so much going on here in in Cleveland. So, talk to us a little bit about the the construction market and, and real estate development market. What what you're seeing here? Well, it's it's very active right now. If uh, if you're not busy, there's you should be examining yourself as a company for why you're not busy um, as a contracting company. Um, a lot of healthcare work still still going on. Okay. Loads of residential high rise developments and, okay. and redevelopments going on. Um, we have an exciting uh, a project coming up with the, the headquarters for Sherwin Williams being oh, uh, redone nice. um, in central downtown Cleveland, and another uh, their R and D facility out in in Brexville. Okay. We have an exciting uh, first in the uh, well, lar- tallest wood frame structure in the world. I, I think I've wow. heard going to be built on West Twenty Fifth Street by the West Side Market. Nice, and that's I think eleven stories is the plan, and that will be the tallest in the world for a time until I think there's one in the in planning stages that might be a little bit taller somewhere else that'll be completed after ours. So, um, but that's going to be a very interesting project as well. Uh, there's stuff. just a lot going on. So it, I know in in Columbus we see a lot of redevelopment downtown, and I sense that you know just having been through downtown here, there's a lot of that going on here as well. Is that is that the case? Yes, uh, it is, and and we're excited that there's um, the Sherwin Williams has decided to keep its headquarters here because that's going to keep a lot of employees working downtown yeah. and um, and keep downtown vibrant. It's becoming more of a uh, an attraction for people to live down there and, right. and we'd love to see that continue. Yeah. So older older buildings are being kind of rehabbed and redeployed in in terms of uh, their their use and that type of thing. Right, it's and it's great to see because Cleveland in the when these older buildings were was built uh, was one of the top cities in the country, one of right. the top 5 cities in the country and these are some nice 
buildings from back when Rockefeller was around and, and guys like that. Yeah. Um, and those are being turned in from offices into residences now. And uh, what a place to to call home. Yeah, that's fantastic. Some great architecture and, and great history there. So that's, right. that's phenomenal. Right. So talk to us a little bit about the Construction Employers Association and, and your role within the the construction community in, in Northeast Ohio and, and what purpose um, you try to serve as an advocate. Sure. Well, you said it well as an advocate for the construction industry. We've been in Cleveland since 1916 when we were started by a group of contractors who, who felt the need to join forces when it came time to bargain with unions. Uh, 1916 was was sort of at the tail end of the beginning of the um, organized labor movement in America. Okay. And so th that, that movement involved employees banding together to improve their lot in life and their work lives. It's a CEA, which was then called the Building Trades Employers Association when it was founded, uh, was employers realizing that by ourselves, we're not in a very good bargaining position, but when we join our join together, sure. we can do a lot better for ourselves. And that's how it got, got its start. And over the years, we've, together with our, our union partners, mm -hmm. um, we've developed uh, basically the way you ought to be doing construction, okay. which is allowing yourself as a company to, to maximize your ability to get the best skilled workers you can and productive workers you can. Sure. And the way you do that is you make those things that are essential for an employee to, to develop a career, you make it portable. Okay. Because construction is from job to job, from sure. project to project, from contractor sometimes to different contractors. As a tradesperson, you're going to be moving around. Right. They're called journey people. And so our systems that we've developed over the last hundred and so some odd years are portable benefits, where the, whether it's healthcare, retirement, and uh, portable training which allows you to have a real career and not just a job. Right, right. Because construction jobs end. That's, yeah, That's absolutely. the whole point is to get the job done. Yeah. So as an, as an advocate then for, for the industry, you talked about some of those great benefits. What, what do you do for, for your members uh, specifically in, in terms of uh, additional added sure. uh, benefits? So. So we not only manage the apprenticeship programs, the health plans, the retirement plans together with the, the, the trade unions, but we also collectively bargain on behalf of the contractors. Mm -hmm. um, we have an advocacy function with the legislative advocacy, lobbying public officials and elected officials for policies that will benefit our members. And that's everything from workers' compensation laws. Most recently in the Ohio State House, um, we have, we're we're behind a synthetic urine ban. Hmm. People use synthetic urine they get at the gas station or at the smoke shop for $20 to beat their drug test. Yeah. And it's easy as could be, and it's it's not safe for those who are working around them. Right. Uh, everything from workers' comp to the synthetic urine issues, which is kind of a random one to come yeah. up, but it makes sense. Uh, tax laws, municipalities, the way they do their taxes yep. very much impacts the way our contractors work because yep. we're all over the place working Sure, all to prevailing wage laws, which supports in public investment into the infrastructure that we've developed in, in, in our workforce, right. allows people to have construction as a career and, uh, and all kinds of different things on a local level. Uh, a lot of what we do because we're not a statewide organization is centered on the, um, the larger uh, public entities yeah. that we do touch, absolutely the counties and the cities that we do work with. 
But I, I got to imagine they appreciate that consistent approach, obviously, and that they can, you know, then embrace that and know that it's it, it will be consistent and quality too. Right. Um, so not only advocacy, um, a large part of what we offer our members is safety consulting mm-hmm. and and training. As a benefit to members, the safety is not only critical, but it's critical to everybody. Yep. And so everybody as a as a, const- a contractor needs it and needs it very badly. Yeah. And we have a certified um, safety professional CSP trainer on staff uh, who is not only a trainer for the OSHA 30 hour classes, the OSHA 10 hour classes, the train the trainer classes, which is an OSHA 500 and 510 class. But um, he also is able to consult with our members, go to their job sites and and basically conduct a, a mock OSHA inspection for them. That's great. And then if, if they so desire, give them a write-up as if they were getting cited for whatever he finds. Yeah. And then they can use that as corrective, uh, to take corrective action. Allows them to learn, right? And, and yeah. see uh, see what's, uh, what, where their risks are. I think that's great. Right. Another thing that... Uh, the, guy, the gentleman's name is Kent Kreitzer, who is our safety professional. He uh, helped develop a, a a program to comply with OSHA's new silica standard. Okay. And if you're not familiar, which I don't expect you to be, um, silica is basically the most prevalent element in the in the, in the world. Yeah. Um, it's in every. It's all the sand, all the, the concrete, air. all the you know most substances have silica in it. Yeah. And when you produce silica on a job site by grinding mortar joints or by cutting concrete on the road or wherever you yeah. wherever you're working, um, you have to protect your employees from that dust exposure, from inhaling and clogging up their lungs, getting conditions of the lungs from that exposure. So OSHA recently came out with a standard. I think it was in 2017, and we had built a database because in the standard you can either, you either have to test your a job operation, how much dust is this job function producing? Right. And how much is my employee exposed to? You either have to do that testing yourself on each job or you have to rely on objective data. Yeah. Well, there is no objective data. Right. So we built a database back when it came out and um, partnered with an international laboratory to uh, send out testing kits to our members. They send back the results, and from those results, we get a database. Okay. And uh, now we have the, I think the only one that I'm aware of, database in the country, and we've covered, I think, 25 different states with samples, sampling coming in from 25 different states in the country and have a lot of buy-in to that program. So it's just a, an example of some of the value we, we try yeah. to add. That's fantastic. I think, you know, and that's one of the things I've always loved about the construction industry is that, the, they, the companies within the industry, yes, while they're competitors to certainly to some degree, they look out for each other and really try to boost up the the industry and, and organizations like the CEA really bring that to bear, I think. Right. And it's through it's through partnering with other organizations like ours, like the AGC of Ohio, mm-hmm. the AGC of America. Both of those are, are partnering entities in our silica program. And you know, when we develop something, we share it. So yeah, that's a nice thing. That's fantastic. Now you, we were talking a little bit at lunch. I know you have a, a, a legal background as well. So um, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what what you see in in terms of that, how you bring that background to the organization, and and try to help the members by having that different perspective. Sure. Well, I spent um, eight years at Thompson Hine, mm-hmm. which is a law firm in Ohio. And I worked in their Cleveland office. I came to Thompson Hine directly from law school and uh, specialized in labor and employment law there. 
and I did a good deal of traditional labor law, which is dealing with labor relations and, and union representatives. And uh, when my predecessor, John Ferrata, retired in 2010, I, I didn't have a prior relationship with CEA. They okay. hired Headhunter and found, and found me. So Interesting. Just kind of worked out well for us yeah. and hopefully for CEA uh, that way. But I don't really do much legal work sure. in this role. Uh, most of what I do is is getting people, whether it's our member contractors to work together for common good, even though they're competitors, or to get um, our contractors to work well with the uh, organized labor component of the trade unions yeah. that they have to work with to get jobs done. Getting people to work together is the name of is the naming game of my job. Yeah, but I think having that perspective, that legal background, you know, where you understand risk and and try to bring parties together, that that's invaluable. It it is important uh, from an issue spotting standpoint. Yeah. Half of the battle and and in my my experience as an attorney, half of the um, task was knowing where to look. Yeah. If you see an issue, you have, first of all, you have to know it's an issue. Right. And that's, a, that's important in my role here. Yeah. Now we've seen, you know, I know in, in central Ohio, this, this tends to be a, a, a big issue. Um, and in fact, I know there's a political candidate running on this as a single issue candidate, and that is the, the prevailing wage issue there's there's uh, battles that some folks fight and try to you know do away with that and and i think it, you know talk from your perspective about what that means to have that in place and the benefits of of having that sure prevailing wage uh, basically ensures that when a public invests in a project mm -hmm. public entity invests in a project that it gets the best product it can get by having the best skilled people on that job it can have and you can only have that if you pay the prevailing wage, because if you don't, it's a race to the bottom right. in terms of labor cost for contractors who bid on that public work. And they're not going to put in their bid the dollars it takes to hire career, a, a career workforce. Quality people who know what they're doing. A workforce who, who has invested in their training yeah. and, and who value their own jobs enough or their own... Uh, professionalism enough to think that they deserve a retirement, yeah. to think that they deserve healthcare for their families. If you don't have prevailing wage, you don't get that workforce. Right. So that's why a prevailing wage is important. And then you get a product as a public entity that that is built by people that, that don't have that view of their careers. Yeah. So, As you said, it's a race to the bottom. And I'm not sure I want to be in a building or on a road where, uh, you know, the labor force doesn't have that, that same, you know, quality outlook. Right. You exactly. Know, that's that's scary. And I've heard um I've heard someone that was probably misinformed suggest that you can regulate everything as an employer to the extent where craftsmanship becomes irrelevant. And interesting. He, wow. I doubt he's ever set foot on a job site to see how things get done because you just can't dictate every single thing. People are not robots. Even if they were, you couldn't code. You couldn't put enough code in them to uh, rule out all mistakes yeah. and, and achieve craftsmanship. There's no way. Yeah. Now it, it makes me think though of, we, we see so much advance in, in technology across all industries and certainly even in, in construction as well. Is that, is that a topic that you see among, among your members? Is that something that's discussed widely? Absolutely. Technology is changing the way things are delivered significantly um, from moduli modularization where um, much of the job site gets manufactured instead of constructed, mm -hmm. gets manufactured in a factory and then delivered to the job and installed as a, a large piece. Whereas normally 
in the old days, you would have craftsmen on the job, trace right. people on the job doing every single piece of that. So that then that then becomes manufacturing and not construction. Right. So it's manufactured and delivered. Uh, so that's one major thing. Um, technology in terms of um, building information modeling, which is basically taking a blueprint that's 2D and making it 3D and sometimes mm -hmm. 4D by adding not only what the what the space looks like from a 3D uh, visual standpoint, but also what the information is about each element. What, what kind of light bulbs are those? So that when I get this building turned over to me as an owner, hospital or office building, what kind of inventory do I need? Where do, yeah. where do I go when I need to replace that thing? Yep. The fixture or the light bulb or whatever it is you need to potentially maintain in the future as an owner. Uh, so building information modeling is 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 very prevalent now. Um, they're using drones yeah. to survey job sites and survey not only the topography of a of a you know a piece of land, but right. flying through a job site and mapping it out and feeding that information into their models. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and you can be much, that much more efficient that way, right? It doesn't. It's not that the technology replaces an employee it just changes how they how they work so to speak it does it allows more things to get built yeah which is great mm -hmm. so what other what other trends do you see in in 2020 and and going forward not only maybe in the industry but in in the region here overall anything that uh, that perhaps sticks out as as something we, we should keep our eye on it's a good question um i think apart from this uh, temporary, hopefully temporary blip in the economy with the coronavirus right yeah. now, I think uh, the economy is fairly strong still. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it'll be as strong this year as it was last year. And um, probably for a year or maybe even two years, it'll be strong. Beyond that, it's hard to see. Yeah, But I would expect things to keep uh, keep building and investors to keep investing in Cleveland. And that's the key. I think there's a lot of appetite. There's still a lot of capital that that uh, is ready to be deployed. So investors, real estate investors, know that, right? And that helps then the construction companies. I mean, most of them we talk to have feel pretty good about where their their backlogs. Yeah, know, look. And so. Cleveland's not an expensive place to build. It's it's yeah. actually that RS Means publishes a um, a statistic where 100 is like the uh, the middle ground, the mean. Yeah. And then if you're above 100, you're more expensive than average. If you're below 100, you're less expensive than average. And Cleveland is 97. So yeah. um, we're, we're a good place to build. Well, I think that's important, too, for employers. And we've seen this. I'm a big believer in demographics. And employers now want to move where they can have, you know, costs that are, uh, you know, more identifiable, stable. They want a good employee base, which you can get here, obviously, with strong universities in the region and, and things like that. You can get, you know, young folks and, and all that. And a vibrant downtown certainly helps, too. Yeah, well, just like Columbus, Cleveland's a great place to, to raise a family and develop a career. We have great companies here that people can work at. and Yeah. And it's very very affordable. Yep. So now, if we could just get the Browns turned around a little bit, that would <laughs> it's just be that much better, right? I know. I'm not taking credit for that. <laughs> we can't do everything, but uh, there's hope now, at least. It's, right. It hasn't been that way for for a long time, so that's good. But um, I, I think it's incumbent upon us to try to say, you know, look, the the region as a whole has so much going on, uh, so much going for it that 
we want to try to promote that uh, as much as possible. Our firm certainly has an investment in the region and certainly CEA and its members do. Right. And we're all trying to row the same boat, so to speak. Yeah, so, absolutely. So let's get on the same side, right? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, what are what are maybe if you have one or two things uh, that that are the biggest risks you see that you try to help your your members identify that 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 uh, are out there? Anything specifically within their operations or as an industry? I think um, one of the biggest challenges that our members face this year, but in the more importantly in the near future, next five, 10 years mm. is workforce supply. Mm. And, um, you know, our, our population in the country, our working population is, is trending towards getting older. Yes. And I think, I don't know what the stats are, but I think by in 10 years, roughly 50% of the workforce is going to be above 45 years old yeah. in the country. Yeah. And so finding a good source of, of motivated and motivated people who are going to work hard and care about their skills and their careers. That's the probably most critical issue that our contractors face. Yeah. And I think that issue is faced by not only contractors, whether or not you're in Cleveland, Ohio, or Columbus, or yeah. Kentucky, or Alabama, no matter who you are, you have that challenge. Manufacturers have the same thing. We're kind of competing for the same pool of people right. in a lot of ways. So finding out how to... How to um, solve that puzzle is our biggest challenge. And along those lines, I know you guys do a lot of workforce development and you, you support programs, you get in schools at an early age and try to talk about quality of life, quality of career, correct? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, we're in 13 different schools, I think it is, with the ACE Mentor Program. Mm. And that involves over 100 industry professionals from architecture, construction, and engineering fields that go twice a month and volunteer after school in those programs, in those schools, um, with after school clubs with uh, juniors and seniors in high school. Yeah. We reach out to middle schoolers. We're just starting a new initiative called Cleveland Builds with uh, CEA, the other associations in town and the Cleveland Building Trades uh, to do a, a better job of owning as an industry the process and results of our workforce development efforts. Okay, Each trade has its own workforce recruiting efforts into their trade with the carpenters, electricians, bricklayers, mm. they each have their own. And um, not that we're going to replace that, but as an industry, we need to um, assist them yeah. and um, and then track, track results and track what works and what doesn't and coordinate between them to do a better job and get more people into the trades. Yeah. I think it's a matter of education and just informing, you know, uh, the, the, potential workforce out there, the opportunities that are there, you know? Right. I mean, as an attorney whose parents were not involved in the trades, I had no idea what the trades were before I came to work at CEA. Yeah. I didn't know what it would be like. I, I pictured a guy on, on the street corner of New York in a movie I saw with a jackhammer and right. a wife beater on, right? Yeah. That's it's not like that's that. the image. <laughs> yeah. But that's not what it's like. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think particularly for the young generation, we, we had a podcast uh, now two weeks ago, we talked about millennials and the things that they they want. They want different things. They want that work-life balance. They want to feel like they're adding some value in, in what they're doing uh, with with regard to their career. And I think that the trades are just a perfect fit for those things. But oftentimes, they're just not informed as the opportunity. So School has been focused on college admittance for way too long. And I think people are waking up 
in the yeah. education circles. It's, I've heard a lot about the trades in the last year and a half, two years from the state house, from the governor's office, from even Ohio Department of Education. So, and nationally even. Right. Um, but it's taken way too long and for we've missed a generation or two. Right. With that college only message. Yeah. Well, I applaud you for for your efforts, and Tim, you're a, a great leader for for the industry and for the organization. And thank you. Thank I'm glad you for, to have you guys involved too. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your your insight and uh, and also the use of your your studio today. So sure. very much appreciate that. Great stuff. Well, I'm so. learning from you guys. You have a lot more episodes than I do, so this will be my first episode of season two because I haven't had one since December. So. Awesome. Well, it'll be a joint uh, a joint effort here in terms of getting the getting the word out. So. Appreciate that. And uh, if you want more business tips and insight or to hear previous episodes of Unsuitable, visit our podcast page at www.racecpa.com slash podcast. And while you're there, sign up for our weekly podcast newsletter for exclusive content and show notes. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Be sure to subscribe to Unsuitable on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us right now, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another unsuitable interview from an industry professional. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance. 